Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. From time to time on Living Truth Radio, we have other pastors who share from the Word of God. And we have a special privilege early on in the book of Genesis in hearing from Pastor Mel Campbell. Now, Pastor Mel Campbell has an interesting insight into the book of Genesis because he is a scientist and he has a degree in physics. And so I think it's really interesting to hear from Pastor Mel on the subject of the book of Genesis. I'd like to introduce to you Pastor Mel Campbell, teaching from the book of Genesis. Tune on in. I think you're going to be blessed. That was a blessing uh, to see those kids and how they respond. And, and even for the adults, I can really say for the adults, um, to see God's love um, on display like that is something, is something special. So uh, that was uh, very special. You can, I was supposed to say something. Tracy, what was I supposed to say? Uh-oh. She'll tell me. All right. All right, I was supposed to say something um, about that. No. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Okay. All right. Don't tell Tracy. What was I supposed to say, Tracy? Now the kids are all learning about Genesis. Oh, there you go. Okay, all right. Thank you, Tracy. Tracy was telling me during VBS, she said, Mel, it's such a blessing uh, that Pastor Michael started Genesis because that's what the kids are doing in their classes. They're doing Genesis. So moms and dads and, their, and grandma and grandpas can all talk Genesis over the next um, couple of uh, weeks, months, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, thank you for today. We thank you for how you've blessed us. We thank you for um, how you have put us in our right mind this morning to want to come and hear your word and hear what you have to say to us. We bless you and we love you, Lord. Lord, may your word go forward and may it not return to you void. May it accomplish everything that you would have it to do today. We bless you, Lord. Clear our hearts and minds now. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for um, um, letting me uh, come back and finish um, from last week. Um, I promise it wasn't all me, Pastor about uh, uh, going an hour. Was it an hour? <clears throat> Last session. Okay, so I'm not going to do an hour this time, but I'm going I'm to go through it quickly. I have a, a slideshow. Um, I hope that we can get going. Um, so I've got to show you some pictures. It's just not the same without showing you the pictures. Um, so let me review very quickly, um, just two minutes. Uh, last week we talked about, in this Genesis account, there's a structure to it. Day one, day two, day three, God creates He creates and he separates. Day one, he created light and he separated it from the darkness. And then he didn't do anything. He was done with day one. That's interesting. He could have done a lot more, but he didn't. He would wait three days until day four. And then he would do something with that light. And then day two, he created also. He created the expanse, the sky, the heavens. He created that and he separated it from the water. The water down here, and there's some water up there, but he created that, and he separated it from the water, and then he was done on day two. It wasn't until three days later, on day five, that he decides to fill the air with the birds of the sky and fill the waters with the fish that would swarm in the waters. Interesting. And then day three, he creates the dry land. He creates the dry land, and he separates it from the waters. And he would wait. That was it for day three. He would wait three days. And then on day six, he filled that land with the animals. So the earth was formless and void. So on day one, 
he, he, he does stuff with form. And then he waits three days. And then on, the, on that third day, he, he fills it. He, cre- he fills that void that was there. Interesting structure that Genesis gives us. Um, and so we've got one, two, three. Day, on day one, two, and day three, he creates and he separates. Day four, day five, and day six, he fills that which he um, created on those days one, two, and three. So we went through day one, day two, part of day three. Last week, I'd like to get started on day four, day five, and day six today. Why did he do it this way? Why did he create in six days when he could have created instantly everything all at once? Why did he take his time? Well, last week we talked about he wanted, it's almost as if he wanted us to pause after day one and think and ponder. Think about that for a minute. See what I just did? I created light, and we talked about light last week. Light is fascinating. You got to go back and get the CD. I can't go there. The light is fascinating. <laughs> so, but he wanted us to think about it, think through it. And then he creates um, uh, this expanse in the sky. And he wants us to think about that. What, what did it mean? What did it mean about him? What did it say about him? It told us something about him. It's like he wanted us to think about it for a little bit. And so he did pause. There, was, there were these pauses for us to think about what that day meant, what it means uh, for us. And so we get to day four now. Day four, oh, let me, let me say this too before I start. There are a lot of people in Christian circles who think that science, science is the villain. Science is the bad guy. Science is not the bad guy. I love science. Science is great. Science is a great thing. It's a good thing. God created the laws of nature, which we call science. Science isn't the bad guy. It's man who would stand up and say, Lord, I know enough now. I don't need you. You don't exist. You're not here. I don't need you to explain anything now. It's man that's the problem, not science. God creates the science. God has said, nature, these are the rules that you must follow. And, he t- and he to- we talked about Psalm 19 last week. The heavens declare the glory of God. And it talks about what they're declaring day and night. And they're pouring forth speech. And they're, they're witnessing and testifying about him. But it's talking about the or- how God has ordered nature. And-, and how nature must follow those rules and laws. And then Psalm 19 also says, and the law of God... The ordinances of God, the commands of God are pure. The, uh, and so we start talking about the laws that God has put on man as well to follow. For order. For order and for, for moral order and structure in our lives and in our relationship with him. So he's created the scientific laws for nature to follow and obey. And they're good. They're neutral. They're just laws of nature. It's what man has done with them that messes things up with our mind. And the moral laws that he's laid down for you and for me and for us. It's what we've done with them that has messed up our relationship with each other and with him. God has created order and structure for us and we have messed it up. Adam's fall and Adam's sin didn't just mess up mankind. It messed up nature too. Nature we talked about last week was groaning as well. So science is not the villain. Science is not the bad guy. It's a a great thing, a wonderful thing, Um, something that we can be passionate about. God has given us this drive and the zeal to explore and to experiment and to go see. I don't want to just look at Pluto. I want to go. I want to see it up close and personal. I want to know why. I want to see what it's saying to me. Everything is going to say God is creator. And there's something about that creator that everything can say to us. Well, let's look at day four. 
day four. Day one, God said, let there be light. Then he ceased from doing anything with that light until day four. Day four starts with Genesis 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So he created the sun, the moon, the stars and, and, that, and whatnot to let us know that the seasons are here. For example, if you go out tonight, beautiful constellation, Scorpio, uh, um, Scorpio um, is up and it's a, a beautiful um, um, constellation. It's got a nice red star uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the middle. You can really see it's red compared to the white twinkling stars of the other ones. Um, uh, Antares, um, that star, is gorgeous. When Scorpio is up, I know it's summertime. That's how I know it's summer. Scorpio and the stars at night. Orion, Orion is on the opposite side of the globe. When Orion is up in the sky, I know it's wintertime. Orion the giant comes out during the winter. The constellations tell me the times, the seasons, what time it is. Um, and so God created them for us to be able to tell time um, with the seasons and whatnot. Well, um, it's not just there to tell us this time. That's great. But he also put it there to show us something about him. Let me tell you something. We've got to, we've got to decide how those suns and those stars and those moons got there. I want you to know that science has to say this is how the solar system formed and this is how the planets formed and this is how the sun formed without God. That's what science is trying to do. We've got to come up with a, na- a naturalistic explanation if we're trying to explain away him. If we don't want God in our lives. If we don't want God to exist, the scientist has to say, I've got to explain this without God. So, we look up at the sky at night and God put the moon there. He created the moon for a reason. Because today, astronomers don't know why it's there or how it got there. There's several explanations for it, but nobody will say this is definitely, definitively, without a shadow of a doubt, there are no questions how it got there. We don't. There's four, there are four basic explanations for how the moon got there. The latest, greatest, the most accepted right now is called the, um, um, the collision, the impact theory. Some huge object like maybe the size of Mars slammed into the earth a long time ago. A lot of stuff jumped off the earth or whatever and then it kind of congealed and and formed the moon. It's our best guess about the moon today. It's a terrible, oh, it's a guess, it's a guess, but the moon came, we used to think it was caught by the earth. Maybe the earth caught it. We thought maybe at one point the Pacific Ocean, that's a big hole in the earth's crust, we thought that it was a chunk that flew off. In the early days, why the Earth is spinning too fast, and the chunk it was called a chunk theory. It's, that's, that's, how, that's how the moon got there. Well, ridiculous. Well, it's not part of the Earth. It was way too different. We went there, we explored, we experimented. It's just too different to say it was part of the Earth. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was the merger of two. Keep coming up with these what-ifs and what-ifs. Right now, we don't know how it got there. We, don't, we have some explanations, but we don't know how the moon got there. Well, that's why he put it there. God put it there for us to go, I mean, for him to say, deal with that. <laughs> Explain that. You know, I, you, you, you say, you know, you know enough to not need me. Explain that one. Oh. And so we have to say, I don't know. If we look at the planets today, I like the idea of going and exploring. I talk to my, my daughters and my son all the time about spending millions and billions of dollars to go to these planets and to go, uh, go throughout the solar system. And we've got all these economic issues and woes and problems here in the United States. Dad, how can we do that? Why is that? And we argue and talk about it. And we do that in class, too. Well, I like the idea of going to the other planets. I understand what's happening here, too. But I think God gave us that so that we can go, so that we can say, wow. So when we look at the other planets as we explore Venus, Venus looks like us, kind of. Can I get that slide going? 
Venus looks like us in size. There we go. Back one. Okay, I'll stop. Go ahead. There we go. Thank you. I want to touch. All right. So if you look at these, uh, this is Mercury, the planet Mercury. There's Mars. There's Venus. There's Earth. These are relative sizes. These sizes are accurate right? in terms of uh, the relative sizes. You see how small Mercury is and how small Mars is compared to Venus compared to the Earth. Venus, interesting, has these clouds around it 24-7. If you're standing on Venus, you, could, you would never see the sun ever. The clouds cover all of Venus all at the same time, always 24-7. Those clouds aren't just water clouds. They're acid clouds. Battery acid, same stuff that's in your battery, the battery acid, are these clouds. It rains battery acid on Venus. And it's about 900 degrees. Now, your oven is about 500, right? It's 900 degrees on Venus all the time, everywhere around Venus. It is a terrible place to be. Um, it's about the same size as Earth, but it's just way different. Well, we had to go there. I worked for uh, JPL and NASA for a year as an undergraduate, and the senior scientist that I was uh, uh, working with, he was on this, what we call the Magellan spacecraft. At the time, it was called the Venus Radar Mapper. And then at launch, they changed the name to Magellan spacecraft. It went to Venus and orbited around Venus and just took all these pictures. So we, we know what every hill and molehill and valley and everything on Venus looks like, though we've never been there. We had to look through in, in infrared, a different color that we couldn't see. We had to, if you were here last week, we had to look through there and we, 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 we can see all of it without going there because it's hard to go there. Land at 900 degrees and descend through sulfuric acid clouds and all that stuff. It's terrible. Um, but Venus, God has us looking at Venus going, wow. That place right there is pretty special. That earth that he has created is a special place. How do we know that? Because we start looking at these other places. You know, Mercury, very hot, all, the second hottest planet in the solar system next to uh, Venus. Uh, and then Mars and, and then the earth. The earth is pretty special. As we go and visit these other planets, if you look at this second picture here, and when you get down to this, you can see this dot, barely see it. That's earth. Right, so from this picture up here, here's Earth. Now to compare it to the other planets in our solar system, that's Earth in size. So, so we've got Neptune and Uranus and Saturn and Jupiter there. The little tiny Earth. And there's nothing like anywhere else. Well, Earth is something we can stand on, we walk on, we live on. Those other giant planets here, they're all gas. No surface. Can't stand on. There's nothing to stand on. Whoops. There's nothing to stand on. Um, not solid surface. All gas. Wow. Earth is starting to look more and more special as we investigate these and uh, investigate uh, the other planets. Um, as these planets orbit around the sun, if you're looking at the sun, oh, uh, and we've got to describe, I'm sorry, scientists have to describe how all of these planets here got here without God and why they're all so different. We don't have that quite mapped out. We thought we did up until about 2006. Um, uh, even before then, but we've got to explain without God how the differences between them all. Well, the first four are rocket, I mean rocky, solid rocks. We can stand on them and walk on them. The next four are giants, and they're all gas. They don't have a surface. You can't stand on them. Big balls of gas. How did that form? The first four are solid, rocky, and tiny. You can see their sizes. And the next four are gas giants. Giant. How did the solar system form like that? Well, we can come up with an answer without God. We, we came up with an answer that we thought was good, but there was a ninth planet back there that was bothering us. Who was that? Pluto. Pluto. Poor Pluto. They've been trying to get rid of Pluto for a long time. <laughs> Why were they trying to get rid of Pluto? There, this is just my theory. Pluto messes up our model 
of how this solar system happened without God. So, four rocky, four giant gas, and then Pluto, which is a solid rocky planet again, with the moon, with five moons now we've discovered. Well, that messes up the pattern, because we can come up with an idea. Oh, okay, all this gas and dust is swirling around right here, and, and the heavier elements kind of sunk in closer to the sun, and then formed the solid rocky planets, and then all the gas stuff that was blown out this way, stayed out this way, and the outer reaches of the solar system, that formed the, uh, the giant gas planets, or whatever. But there's Pluto. Pluto is messing up the model. Pluto's got to go. You got to go. And I think that's why the primary reason for Pluto being voted out. It messed up our model. Well, God wasn't through. God created our solar system in a way that would make us say, wow. We're looking at all the planets going around the sun like this. If we're on the North Pole, North Pole of the sun looking down, looking at the solar system, everything rotates in the same direction. Earth rotates that way, Venus rotates that way. Everyone rotates in the same direction. It's counterclockwise direction. And everybody's spinning as they're rotating around. And they're spinning in the same direction. Except Venus. Venus is funny. Venus is going around this way, but it's spinning backwards. Sun rises in the west and sets in the east on Venus. Well, that's cool. That's God saying, deal with that. <laughs> Explain that one. Well, we don't have that. Well, something happened to Venus to make it spin backwards or whatever. We can come up with all these theories, but we don't have one that, that's just great for everybody to buy. Deal with that. Uranus. All the planets are spinning, and they're rotating kind of like um, with the North Pole up this way. Everybody, except Uranus, it's tipped on its side. Its North Pole is pointing at the sun, and it's spinning. Uranus is different. What will happen to Uranus? Pluto, same way. Pluto's tipped this way, spinning on its side, and the other direction, spin. It's got a retro, what we call a retrograde spin. God is just in there laughing at us. <laughs> Explain? Now, he put that there, not for Moses, not for David, not for those in the 16th and 17th century. We got there. He knew well in advance that we would be going with our snubby noses, with our arrogant attitudes, going and exploring and looking. And he put that there a long time ago for us today, for us to know. This solar system, we've got, we've got to explain how did this form. We thought we had a great idea how it could form without him 1995, we've discovered planets that are outside of our solar system. Not just our own in our family solar system, but out there. Lots of them. Lots of them. We got our big heads. We thought, okay, we know how solar systems form without God, without Pluto. We know how they form. And then we started discovering all these planets in other solar systems. Turn astronomy upside down. We thought all those heavy elements come um, and form rocky planets close to the sun and these giant gas planets further out from the sun. And everything that we're looking at, hundreds and hundreds of planets out there in the solar system where we've got Jupiters, planets like Jupiter, bigger than Jupiter, 10 times bigger than Jupiter, 20 times bigger than Jupiter, sitting closer to the sun than we are. And we got to go, what? We've got sun, we've got planets that are way bigger than Jupiter, and they're so close to the sun. We're, our closeness to the sun, with our closeness, it takes us 365 days to go around. That's how close we are. We've discovered these giant Jupiter sun, sorry, planets that are orbiting around their, excuse me, their sun in one day. A year on Earth is 365 right, days. These Jupiters are racing around in one day, and they're closer to the sun than we are, way closer, 
way bigger, and they're gas giants. Deal with that. God <laughs> said, and we have no idea, no clue how that's going to happen. And we find them. We're finding them by the hundreds. We're looking at all these solar system patterns out there that we've discovered. No two are alike. No two. We've got systems there that are just boggling our minds. And what we thought we knew with our big heads, we are clueless today. And now we're trying to find an explanation. How did that happen without God? That's why God set it up that way. He knew we were going to be exploring. And I think that's fascinating. Day four, he said, I'm going to create these. I'm going to create these, these planets and these stars and these moons and, and all that. And I'm going to create them for us to see. I want you to go. I want you to see something else, too, with these planets. Let's leave our solar system. If we go to the next slide, those are the planets in our solar system. The next slide. There we go. Look at this. What you'll see. Jupiter was the biggest planet in our solar system. That's Jupiter now. That's Jupiter. This is Wolf Star 359. This is our sun. And this is Cirrus, the dog star. It's a sun also. When you look at Orion, the constellation Orion, and the, um, one of his, next to his leg, his faithful dog. Um, um, is, uh, well, that's the bright star next to Orion, and that's uh, Cirrus. Look how much bigger it is than ours. Our, stars, our sun is called a dwarf, a yellow dwarf. It's small. They're serious. It's just um, uh, several sizes larger than ours. But you can see how much bigger it is than Jupiter. You can't even see Earth. It's just a dot. It would be just a dot there, whatever. Look at this picture. That dot right there, that's Cirrus. Compared to the next sun sizes, that's Cirrus. This sun right here, compared to ours, there it is there. Compared to um, uh, Pollux. Uh, uh, Arcturus and Aldebaran. The suns are even bigger. Look how they make our sun look. Our sun is just a dot on this down here, this laser dot. This is Sirius, and these are bigger suns than ours. Thousands of our suns fitting in all, into Aldebaran. It's huge. That ain't the biggest. Next slide, if you can. If you look at, there's Aldebaran. There's Aldebaran right there. That's Aldebaran. Looking at Rigel, Rigel is a blue star, it's a blue supergiant. It's in the constellation Orion. When you look at it, it is blue. It doesn't look white like the other stars or the reddish. It's blue. You can see it bluish. Um, it's a blue supergiant. Uh, it's a blue giant, and that's Rigel. And here's uh, Antares, and here's Betelgeuse. <laughs> now, on this scale, you can't see the speck called our sun. It's tiny. Compared to that, now we're on the order of a million of our suns fitting inside of Betelgeuse. That's Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse isn't the biggest. So going from here to here, that's Betelgeuse. And we've got these other suns that are even larger. This is the largest one we think we found. Millions of times larger than our sun. Absolutely incredible. And when we look at this, turn with me to, to Psalm 8. When we look at this, how can we not help but do what David did? David's the shepherd out in the field. And he grew up out in the field tending the, uh, the, the flocks. And it's at night and he's staring up at the stars and staring up at the heavens. And in verse 8, just I'm sorry, in uh, Psalm 8, David would say, David would say what comes to our minds, what comes to my mind when I'm looking at the size of this, this, uh, these, these planets and, and what's happening. 
David would say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful, revengeful cease. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man, verse 4, that you take thought of him and the son of man that you, that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. Verse 8, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, O Lord. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is looking up going, wow. And he didn't know what we know. And we look and we go, how insignificant we look when we look at the scale of this, this universe. And we have to ask, Lord, who am I? Well, we are excited to be moving on Living Truth Radio to the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is an incredible book. You know, you think about the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis and you have creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. And as the book of Genesis unfolds, you have the story of Abram called out of a life of idolatry, called to the living God, called to be the beginner of a nation. God was the beginner, but Abram became the channel. His name was changed and from his family would come Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the book of Genesis uh, turns to the story of Joseph, an incredible story, really about chapter 37 on to the end of the book. And we're familiar with the fact that the book starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there's a verse that really is an excellent um, theme verse for Genesis. And it's Genesis 50 verse 20. When you come to the end of the book of Genesis, you see that there's a, a beautiful um, Call it the Old Testament, Romans 8.28, where Joseph says, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and preserve many people alive. Please keep us in prayer and contact us. If you are someone who has never contacted us before, use the contact form at livingtruthradio.org. And let us know who you are, where you listen, and how the program has been a blessing to you. And if you can help us out financially, you can also give to the ministry through our website at livingtruthradio.org. If you'd like to mail in support, the church is located at 1009 Arsenal Way. Just think of the armor of God. 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Again, that's Living Truth, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. We appreciate you listening. Tell a friend about the program, and we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.